Welcome to Sparks, a podcast from Ignium, designed to help you reignite your passion and drive your business forwards. Welcome back to the second part of the interview I completed recently with Marcus Heinen of EY. Marcus is the People Advisory Services Leader for Germany, Switzerland and Austria, and his own purpose is about making other people successful. We talk about emotional intelligence and some of the thoughts Marcus has on what business leaders need to learn to let go of to help them succeed. We also talk about the EY Horizons model and how it can help business leaders optimize their own business models while thinking about the future and combining the thoughts on how to build the business in the today, here and now. And finally, I'm sure you'll enjoy Marcus's own story about the ice cream parlor in rural Germany and how they developed their own business model during the pandemic to help them sell more ice cream countrywide. Enjoy the show. And if you have comments or questions, please drop me a note to phil at igniumconsult.com. You and I talked previously about um, the emotional intelligence side of the business and you can't balancing cognitive versus emotional. I wonder how that emotional side really comes together in terms of building the need to do this and someone's ability to let go. Yeah, so, so th- that's a very uh, fantastic point you're touching, uh, which I'm getting apart from holacracy and all the modern purpose uh, thing, which uh, everything obviously seems to me to come together. Another very, very important theme we have to start to apply widely is the word empathy. And empathy is related to two dimensions. So the cognitive intelligence and the emotional intelligence as you, as you touched it already. And a lot of people starting to get much more better in this cognitive intelligence um, getting to the extreme, we have now facial recognition in the artificial intelligence where you can even predict some of behavior and some of the people's mindset uh, of using artificial intelligence in a, in a virtual recruiting process. That is weird. At the same time, it's a cognitive intelligence and the AI machine doesn't have the emotional intelligence. And uh, that only uh, is still and will remain for many, many years or even decades for the humans, where I think we have to start to apply the emotional intelligence and bringing empathy to life. What does that mean is, has, has something to do with appreciation. By the way, when we talk about innovation, I mean, the world is not about digital. The combination between digital uh, making digital successful is about innovation. And innovation is not a method in the structure. It is also about fail often and fail early. In companies like us with a very strong regulatory environment, um, we have to start to learn how we can do mistakes, um, but learn from that. Of course, it needs to be in a borderline and all the framework so that nothing really severe is going to happen. But at the end of the time, if you have it in a managed controlled environment, there is some free ups you can generate and also appreciate that some people have failed, but learning something out of it. And that is where you're starting to get engaged and more proud about what you do. And if you do it then in agile or sprints, you are learning faster, you do it uh, within the whole on structure. So that is something I really apply by using internal initiatives which um, we are driving forward the dynamics and the transformation of our own uh, business. And I think that belongs not to us. I think it's required widely in the world, but it may be especially what I observe in the continental European market. Uh, um, Why? Because we have been grown up uh, very strongly based on 
uh, Greece and Aristoteles with a lot of analytical behavior. Uh, and I think we need to more stimulating the left side of our brain with creativity and giving also appreciation to other humans. Yeah, I, I think this is a really key point, isn't it? This this balance and the way the world is changing there. And I think if I look back on my bookshelf, you know, I pick out Daniel Goleman's book, uh, and I can't remember when that was written, but effectively, emotional intelligence was the key piece that he talked about many years ago. And, and the fact that, as you say, we've developed the AI solutions to cognitively understand the facial recognition around what's going on. We've now got to make that human view to look at, okay, what's really happening? What's the emotion? What's the empathetic way of looking at things? Um, I see a lot of businesses at the moment. One business I've been working recently with um, is looking at employee engagement, and they are using AI to analyze the sentiment in conversation. But of course, the AI is just reading and picking out keywords. Machine. Human, exactly. Machine learning, exactly that. But the bit you've talked about there is how do you get the people to connect? And I think this is a this is a big driver. And I think there's a big shift coming along. Uh, and I notice it in my children. I notice it in a 15-year-old and 18-year-old how they look at the world in a slightly different way to the way we look at it. Because they're seeing the world in a very different perspective in terms of um, gender, equality, all great realms of diversity. They, they see people as just people. And from that perspective, they also see the differences in people, but they appreciate them. And that's the empathy side, I think, which is really brought out. And, and uh, just to make another note on a book which I recently have um, uh, read, and uh, I'm staying in contact very closely with Jamil Saki. Um, he's a very uh, great and talented uh, partner and professor in the Stanford University. He has written a book, uh, War for Kindness. Uh, by all of his re research goes about empathy. And he's also starting to uh, show the evidence that you can also measure the impact of empathy to business people, organizations, and even more, one step further, <clears throat> he uh, also has given the evidence that if you don't have empathy, there is a, is a stigma around some of the people or even proven by very old fashioned psychologists who are saying, uh, if you have no empathy, you cannot learn it. That is not true because probably people have resistance, but under pressure and uncertainties, there's a high resilience of people who are able to change and really to apply, but they need help to uh, appreciate, uh, even if they never have done it before. Uh, but this is where people grow. And by the way, if you give something and you let some other people grow by giving them compliments and making sure uh, it's appropriately uh, messaged, you also take energy out of it. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So it's actually by giving out, you're getting back. And it almost comes back to that weird thing you mentioned right at the beginning which is around that if you give something, you get something back. So as a leader pr promoting and noticing those things, actually it comes back around again and you'll develop the organization and the individual you're working with. Yeah, so by ha having said that, I think there is a, um, I mean, it's easy for startups because you can start, you bring a startup to life, you hire the right people, a very small team, they behave by nature, agile, dynamic, and they, if they're good, they know also to start to grow, are they, most of them are able to scale. I mean, that's the reason why 250 uh, ideas just turn into one potential good idea who is, who is successful. But that's again, the philosophy of innovation, start early um, and fail fast, fail early, fail early, um, fail often. Um, at the same time, um, it's extremely hard to do it in existing business, especially when they have a specific size. And uh, not saying I'm a, I'm a big fan of holacracy and by nature, 
um, or by sociocracy, all of this flat structure model, but there's no one uh, company in the world who beyond Zappos is the largest one as a 1,700 people organization, never seen anything beyond 10,000. So that has something to be proven because complexity also starts to obviously have some problems in holocratic organizations. So uh, you need to have somehow uh, a mixture between the models. And that is, a, I would like to refer to another approach we apply or also advise clients when I'm talking about, it's uh, uh, this so-called horizon model. So horizon model is um, distinguished between three horizons. You have in the horizon one, um, productivity and performance zone. And in horizon three, just at the other extreme, you have the innovation and incubation zone. So, and in the middle, you have the horizon two, which is called transformation zone. And there are two faculties in the world. What I observe is that the one said, the one faculty um, explains it, there's no chance that um, Horizon One company is probably doing a little bit transformation, but they never will be able to disrupt themselves or they never will achieve an incubation or uh, get to an incubation or an innovation zone. Um, and therefore, we have to set up a separate entity, very holocratic, and then do a operational venturing or corporate venturing to fund into that. I haven't seen um, success out of that. Um, there is the second faculty who strongly believes you can change alongside of a purpose, alongside of uh, future business models, explore and exploit business models. You can derive the future and you can start to change by taking the people on a journey through this horizon two transformation zone to get there. You have to do it in balance and make it transparent. So I'm a big fan of this uh, second faculty. And I do believe um, there is the only chance that uh, we can sustain some of the companies which are already have done great. Um, some of them will not probably not make it because they stick in horizon one. If you don't do horizon two and horizon three at the same time in an appropriate balance, say 70% uh, horizon one, 20% transformation zone and 10% incubation, um, then you are about to fail. But that is, comes alongside of people's mindset growth mindset, ability to change, empathy, everything we talked about, Phil. And that is something what also makes leaders very strong because they have a strategic narrative, they have a purpose, and they know how you are starting to transform your enterprise. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting. This um, I'm going to come back to the word transform your enterprise in a few minutes time because I think that's quite an interesting piece. Um, the, the bit you mentioned about Three Horizons is having this incubation zone. I think there's a there's a tension between the individuals though, because actually those individuals who are in the productivity in the performance zone often don't see, they can't see the future. They don't understand it. They're very much in the now. They're looking at how do I improve the widget? How do I make it better? Whereas those people who are in the innovation and incubation, they're looking at reinventing the business model. And I think this is one of the key things. There's a tension again between those individuals. And the bit I take away from what you just said there is the agile leader can see all three. And they can look at it and see what needs to be done in this one, this one, and this one in the middle. And that Absolutely. takes a lot of character. Absolutely. And, and honestly speaking, there is people who love, don't get me wrong, it's nothing against the productivity performance zone because that is the cash we need to do transformation and innovation zone. But it's not appreciated. Again, coming back to empathy, 
And there's people who really love to do product in the performance zone. And there is digital initiatives. You can do bots and AI to, for repetitive tasks. You can optimize always the business. You can apply even with emerging technologies, new stuff in your existing business. So there's still room not to exploit a business model to the end, but starting to think in a life cycle and continuously do an incremental sustaining uh, innovation. But you have to identify the people. As a leader, you have all the three uh, horizons in place, right? Um, but then you have to identify the people. You have, and it doesn't matter where they come from, but to spot them on into the effective initiatives in a transformation zone and being the beginner of the swarm effect. And then maybe some of a little bit more, don't get me wrong, freaky people who are doing disruptive innovations being to the extreme challenging the conventional wisdom of the existing business and starting to do something totally new, which you don't uh, even could not uh, think about. And, but that's the explore business model and it has a higher risk of failure. It has a higher risk of um, uh, uh, maturity. Um, whereas the business in the or business models in horizon one cannot do this. They cannot just simply afford to fail. So therefore I do strongly believe if you bring the people together not necessarily take them out of completely out of the business, depends on the initiatives or from, and from the timing. But as we are doing it more in sprints and more shorter period of time, you can easily bring the right skills together to work on a transformation zone, which is helping the company to move into a new future. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast with um, my good friend, Don Monkhouse recently, and he interviewed Alex Osterwalder talking about business model innovation. And the bit that, that, that really resonated for me there is you need to effectively be more of a risk taker in zone three. You've got to put a number of bets on different products that have come out. And the key that you've, you've triggered there for me is actually about failing fast. And it's about learning fast so you can then move on to the next one. Whereas a lot of businesses will be investing the things that are easy and put off the things that are hard. But what we need to do is invest in the things that are hard today, because if we can overcome those, we've got more chance of succeeding. But if you then look at the number of investments you're making in different projects, you need to have that risk appetite in the same way that a, an equity firm would say, I'm going to invest in these businesses. As an individual business, you need to look at which is the business model we think we can put our money into in the future. You've got to spread your risk. So I think there's an interesting thing there about how do you, how do you get the right people with the right risk appetite and the right creative mindset, which is the right brain thinking, to think about innovating product and business model at the same time, rather than upskilling the productivity side of it, which is in zone one. So I think there's an interesting concept there in terms of the different types of people. And this risk appetite is what I'm really hearing there is key. Uh, it's so key and so true. And uh, that's exactly, I mean, uh, Europe and Alexandra Osterwald is, I think, number four in the global thinker, 50 thinkers in the world. I mean, and uh, honestly speaking, it's a framework, which is not rocket science. I mean, he has done it with the crowd writing many years ago, Business Model Generation was the first book. Then he learned value proposition design is something which is, uh, is, is, is there's more need to understand the customer-centric value proposition. It's probably not a product you're going to sell. It's a value you're going to sell. Um, and then he was always referring to Nespresso and, and, and so on. But at the same time, um, then he started to learn also over the course of the time, there is a a difference between companies. So couple, and he's distinguishing between basic companies who cannot even describe the business model in nine building blocks, 
But if you have done it, then you're becoming a, a, a master of the business models where you are changing one building block leads ultimately to a change within one or the other building block as well. If you're changing one of the resources, for example, by using more AI, something is happening with your value proposition. Maybe something is happening with your customers uh, or you have more opportunities. But then, and this is the recent book I really highly recommend as well, is The Invincible Companies. Okay. And I like the book name because it is, I think it's really talking about um, even if it is not known, the company itself inside out is starting to disrupt themselves between distinguishing a business model portfolio of explore business models and exploit business models. Mm -hmm. And exploit business models are pretty much horizon one, explore opportunity business models pretty much horizon three. And I'm also strongly believe, like Alex, is that uh, we have to go through the transformation zone. And I would like to recommend another book, if you mind, yeah. Uh, yeah, called yeah. The Loop uh, from a company in Berlin. It's uh, very um, great uh, leaders as well, founders um, uh, from The Dive. Okay. Um, they have been uh, writing the book about the inside out uh, tra transformation. So starting really the change from the inside of the organization, which are ultimately going to apply also as a vehicle with all the methods described, the approach they have described, they use a holacracy uh, philosophy in their book. Um, so they're taking a lot of very proven frameworks, but brought it together into doing transformation within an enterprise. And I do strongly believe that that's the reason why loop, you need to learn it and you need to accelerate uh, and you can then create the fish swarm, which is then activating a wider workforce. And I think that is the future yeah. for us managing business per model portfolios in exploit and explore but you have to bring the people on that journey i think that i think there's a key thing there actually and, and all of these books i'll reference in the show notes for this uh i looked them all up previously but i think there's some great things there um before we get back into the loop i just want to talk about that um explore and exploit because i think this is a really key thing especially in the last nine to ten months with the pandemic a lot of businesses have put their hands up and said we have no customers anymore, we're dead. Where some businesses have gone into that different mindset and said, okay, there's a change in the world, we need to do something different. And they've gone to explore. They said, what will the world look like in the future? How do we, and the word that's been used is pivot and it's been very overdone in the last few months, but actually they've looked at what do we need to pivot our business quick? Because actually we know that this pandemic will be, will, will at some stage end, and when it ends, the world will pick up again um, because it's just a cycle. And I say just a cycle because when we're in it, it doesn't feel like it. But if we look back over history, we've seen this type of thing before and the world will turn around. And there are some businesses that who will really maximize the benefits from what they're doing now because it's fast forwarded their need to transform and pivot and explore new opportunities in that Horizon 3 world. And I think this is a key mindset shift for people. A lot of people, a lot of clients of mine have come to me asking that question around, you know, how do I cope? And to me, it's mindset. I, I, I would like to give you a very, very practical example, which also shows what can happen to people. So, and it's related a little bit to, to two parties. Um, I'm living, living in a very small community here in Germany. And of course, we have supermarkets here, but we have also, how is it called, an ice cream parlor. Is that understood? So, yeah, ice cream parlor, yeah. Uh, so you can get there and have phenomenal Italian ice cream. 
So um, in, 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 as the, we have climate change, it's getting warmer. So we generally have more often ice cream. Uh, so, um, but they are heavily depending on visitors, right? Like, like the premium restaurants, that would be the other examples. So what happened now in COVID before a heavy lockdown, but they locked down the luxury food um, stuff. So, so restaurants got locked down, ice uh, cream parlors got locked down. So, and I met them by occasion in a supermarket and, uh, I, and he was really blaming on the, uh, the, the owner of the ice cream parlor. And he was, he was blaming on the situation and he is, I mean, he cannot, cannot get the money from, it's difficult in Germany from the government supporting. And I said, stop, before you are getting into a, in a protected mindset, start to think about your growth mindset and what is now the opportunity. And I said, see, the supermarket is open. Have you ever thought about to package your phenomenal ice cream because there is a, a regional market section within the, the large scale supermarket where you can probably put your stuff into the fridge mm. and people are probably um, going to buy that. You have to uh, follow the hygiene uh, issues and so on, but that, that is something you need to manage. But at least I would request, request you to, to start to think about if there is some workarounds where you have to uh, order some packages and, yeah. and bring your ice cream into different flavors, and then you put it in the supermarket and you are get you give them a little bit margin, but you can still get at least a lot of ice cream sold. Guess what? A couple of weeks later, he said, Marcus, that was one of your brilliant, most brilliant idea, because first of all, I have more demand as I had before. <laughs> Because the premium ice cream we are doing is much more better than the traditional ones you can, which you can get from the, the global uh, consumer products companies. Yeah. Uh, it, it gives a contribution to the regional community because people like to sustain and helping them, giving something back to the humanity. So people generally are uh, social uh, oriented. Mm. Uh, but then it was also, he said, it was extremely difficult to find someone who is producing boxes for me and my ice cream because they wanted to have me 10,000 boxes to be bought yeah. because it's volume producers in Germany who said, okay, you can get 10,000 or zero. So then he found a small startup in Denmark who was able to ship him 100 or 1,000 just to make a, a, a very agile sprint. Wow, wow. And he has delivered and got in contact with them. They've been very dynamic, very agile. They made a partnership and they delivered in two weeks a complete set, not only a hundred of these ice cream boxes, but also personally, totally phenomenally colored, have given also a little bit of marketing effort. It has grown into a phenomenal business model innovation. Wow. And wow. I would even say, I, I, I would question if you still need ice cream parlors in the future. Because you can probably think it, you can further work on the business model. You can, why you are not using delivery services, which are doing also some of the other thing for the restaurant, that is the second example. They said, we cannot deliver food. They said, why are you not starting to use Delivery Hero uh, or someone else with global uh, companies who are doing this uh, for, forever? Yeah, but we have a high trend. We have a restaurant environment I said, I mean, if you sell zero, you are dead. But then try to segment your products in a way which is easy to consume and can be and still remain your high-end products for later 
if you want to continue with a restaurant, uh, a stationary restaurant. But then at least you have a baseline where you can still keep your people and you are, uh, get a, a fundamental uh, product delivery. So you're absolutely right. The way the people have to think is getting out of the comfort zone yeah. and is driving new business models in a totally different way. Yeah, I think this is, this is I love that story. And I love the ice cream parlor story. Um, in, in England, we haven't much need for ice cream sales at the moment, but you're right. <laughs> People, people still love ice cream. And at the end of the day, there is a way to get your product to market. It's about thinking differently. Uh, um, and I love that thing about, you know, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. If we flip into the growth mindset aspect, we know we can find a way of doing it. And some people have that creative spark. They've come up with it. And that's the key. It's tapping into that. My belief is everyone's creative. They just haven't been able to use it more recently. But I love that story about, you know, finding the packaging company, finding someone who's agile enough to produce a small number of packages with the colorful branding on it, ship it from Denmark to Germany, put it in the supermarket in time. I think that's a, such a lovely story. And I think, I think there's a book to be written at the end of pandemic, which is all of these changing stories of businesses across Europe, across the world who have shifted, who have changed and done things differently. There's, a, there's an amazing story here. And I think there's a mindset thing that people really need to look back on. It's that, that spirit of creativity in the explore world, not just the exploit world. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I think, um, and that is something which I find fascinating. We can talk about uh, the pandemic and if, why we haven't seen that earlier and so on. I mean, it was foreseeable many, many years back, even though they blame on um, on, on people like uh, Bill Gates and so on, that he has known and probably has done it, all these conspiracy uh, theories. But at the end of the day, what it has done to us was an acceleration of digital um, experience uh, and the ability, I mean, think about people being in the office and forcing people every day come into the office because they want to have control about the people, what they do every day. Overnight, they have to work from home. Yeah. So how do you continue to control if you want to do control um, uh, to do this? And, uh, and that is that I think majority of these people who have that mindset who want to continue with that, that uh, leader management style are got told um, time is over and we are, have to give more responsibility and accountability back to the people. Yeah, I, and you know, I think this is it. I think there's a really fascinating piece in there. It's about people's changing mindset. And, and, and even coming back to the, the EY proposition of building a better working world, we've been forced to work from home. We've found ways of doing it. Even you and I having, you and I having this conversation now via Zoom, Zoom has trebled the way we do it. We use Microsoft Teams, we use Google Meets. We actually, we, we have ability to do it. Uh, I was on a, a video call this morning. I, um, I cycled up a mountain in Switzerland this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, I, use a, I use a cycling AR app called Ruby. So I connect it to my turbo trainer and I chose a route. It was 11 kilometers up a Swiss mountain. And it was be a beautiful sunny day. Technology enables that. I could feel the gradient. I could see the pictures. I could ride it. I could sit at my home and do it. And I think this is the fascinating thing is we don't need to be in the office to have that experience. But I think we do need the people experience. We still need that interaction at some level. Yeah, it's it's so true. And I really like uh, what you're saying. Also, this example on applying and making, as we say sometimes, from doing digital, being digital. Huh? So we are getting this convergence between human and uh, technology is getting to, I mean, it's, 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 it's probably no one anymore in the, in the world who has not a smartphone. 
uh, or a tablet or maybe two or whatever. So it's much more easier to access technology and having the bandwidth. But there's also something which is also related to it, which I also um, have to understand a little bit better is uh, what also, also does this with our mental health. And that's another reason why companies like Peloton or companies like Calm or companies like um, Headspace have exploded all this um, um, theory around uh, mind clarity and, and, and stuff, I think is also needs to be more embedded yeah. um, because um, we need as humans this, um, this balance and um, just working back to back the entire day, locked into your office, not even walking, not getting outside, getting a little bit fresh air, talking to other people um, on uh, something which is totally unimportant that makes humans. And that is something which I think we have to keep or have to find ways uh, to, to activate this uh, because then people need to stay in this positive uh, mindset because that is related to empathy, that is related to growth mindset, and that makes pe uh, companies and also people even more successful in the future. Mm, I, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And it's come back full circle again to that word empathy. Um, Marcus, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We, I could talk to you for ages about this. Um, before we finish, I've got one question, I think, and, and we've talked about lots of different things ranging from holacracy to empathy to three horizons. We've talked about the growth versus fixed mindset. You've given me some great examples of books which reference to. If you were to give one thing, you'd say, this is the key thing that people need to be aware of at this time. What would that one thing be that would make the transformation into building the agile swarm that we've talked about? What's the one, one tip if you had to distill it down to one thing? I think the one tip I would like to give, don't wait, start now. And start by understanding yourself and start to learn to make yourself familiar. The future is great and it belongs to yourself to grow and start to on a journey for lifelong learning. Mm, love that. Journey to lifelong learning. What do we could do with that? Marcus, thank you. Marcus Heinen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I will reference all the books you've talked about there. Um, I'm sure there's lots more we can talk about. So maybe one day we pick up another conversation to move this forward again. But I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I look forward to having this conversation again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Phil, for having me and uh, really having this uh, very um, bilateral conversation. I also appreciated this. And I'm sure we got connected through an occasion. And that is building relationships forever. Even we are on in different geographies. Uh, I think the mindset is the same. Let's move forward and uh, create a movement. I'm really, you can count on me and I'm sure I can count on you. Yeah, thank you. If people wanted to reach out to, to the work that you're doing at EY, how would they, how would they find out about what you're doing and, and the work around building this better working world? So the easiest way would be uh, just getting in contact with me in LinkedIn. You will find me, Marcus Heinen, People Advisory Services Leader, uh, or my email. It's marcus.heinen at be.ey.com. Um, so it should be easy to find, send me an email and I make sure that we are responding and I'm personally also taking care about it as it is related to my personal purpose, making other people successful. Love it. What a great place to stop. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. 
So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating. Or send us an email to sparks at eviumconsult.com.